0: and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reeder. If you're
1: able, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Turn with me in your copies of God's Word to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Children, you can be dismissed to my left and to uh, right here to my left, your right, and just head out those doors. You're right there at the Worship, Children's Worship Center, and there'll be a wonderful time. People will be there to greet you. Time in the Word of God. And you can enjoy that together. The rest of you, make your way to Second Timothy chapter 3. If you're visiting with us and don't, you don't happen to have a Bible with you, the Pew Bible is there just for you. Turn to page 996. And you'll be with us for this day. Uh, in that passage, a note sheet that's provided if you'd like to make use of it. Look with me in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14. I'll read through the end of the chapter in your hearing God's word. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent or complete and equipped for every good work. Then if you'll slip down to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. Preach the word. The grass withers, the flower fades. God's word abides forever by his grace and mercy. May his word be preached for you. Please be seated. His name was William Tyndall. He was a colleague in the sense of a reformer alongside of Martin Luther. He took great pleasure, encouragement, instruction and inspiration from Martin Luther, but Perhaps his, he was most indebted for his calling ministry and grasp of the Reformation truths of reclaiming the gospel of saving grace in Christ and the vitality of the church. He was perhaps most indebted, he was most indebted to a pre-reformer, a reformer who I call a pre-reformer as do others, the leader of the Lollards, his name was John Wycliffe. John Wycliffe was committed his life to not only theological investigation, even under the threat of the church. And uh, but he also, of course, wanted to get the Bible translated into the language of the people. Thus, you have a ministry in our day and time called Wycliffe Bible Translators, following that calling that he had into the language, the common language of the people. Well, John Wycliffe died And then the church decided to give a directive to burn everything that he ever wrote to exhume his body, burn his bones and scatter the ashes. But still, things had been copied and they got around and they came to William Tyndall almost 200 years later. And William Tyndall began to read them and he began to have a burden that God's word would be in the language and available to everyone the printing press became quite his instrument, and he was, um, of course, ministered in England. But soon, Henry VIII began to track him down in order to take his life. He went to Europe, and in Europe he began to travel around, because now he not only had to escape Henry VIII, he had to escape Charles V. He benefited from the reformers such as Zwingli and, uh, and, um, and Luther. And and um and then on the cusp of Calvin's ministry, uh, he was grateful for all of it, but it all came against him finally, and he was arrested, he was caught, he was brought to a stake, strangled uh, into unconsciousness uh, to the verge of death as he was tied to the stake, and then the stake was set upon fire, and he was burned to death. We are... Deeply grateful to John Fox, who was able to write his very last words. I believe they are extremely informative. What would be the last words that he would say? He had already called upon Christ. He had already preached Christ. What would be his last words, particularly in alignment with his calling to get God's word? He loved the statement of John Wycliffe. That the word of God contained the essential center and substance of Christianity. Well, let me share with you his last words as we get to the end of our study this morning. You got your Bible in front of you in Second Timothy, chapter three. I've turned there for a reason. Let me do it this way. Uh, Brothers and sisters. Let me ask you a question. If I was to ask you, what is the flashpoint of the reformation? What would you say it is? Now, there were many issues in the Reformation. Communion. What we celebrate tonight, the Lord's Supper. I want you to listen to Lady Jane Gray's defense of communion that cost her her head. That was a gigantic issue. What is the Lord's Supper? The church. The preaching ministry. The place of preaching. How many sacraments Are there seven or two? There were many, many issues. Rescuing the church from corruption. Rescuing the church from superstition and ritualism. We're all fully aware of that moment with Martin Luther and John Tetzel's selling of indulgences. As he would play upon the emotions of people and tell them with his ditty and when in the coffer a coin does ring, then another soul from purgatory will spring. And that certainly motivated Luther to go to the castle door of the church there in Wittenberg, the castle church door, nailed the 95 Thesis that sent the Reformation all into the uh, arenas of village and towns throughout Germany, Switzerland, France, England, there beginning in 1517 and just like kept moving and moving all the way up until the 1560s, costing the lives of thousands and thousands of martyrs and reformers who were true to the faith, even under the most ghastly deaths that I almost cannot describe to you in pulpit language on a Lord's Day morning. What was that flashpoint? Well, the flashpoint of the issue... Even the indulgences brought that flashpoint. Here it was. This was the issue. How can a man, male or female, how can a man be right with God? That statement most ably given to us and repeated in the book of Job. How can man be right with God? Why is that such a penetrating question? Because we need to be right with God, because we're wrong with God, and everything's wrong with us. We're dead in our sins. How can we possibly be right with God? We can't be right on our own initiative. We can't be right in our man-made religions, because our man-made religions come from our depravity. How can a man be right with God? That was the driving question. And praise God, there was the recapturing of the apostolic message of the gospel. And at the same time, the recapturing of the apostolic vitality of his church. Superstition dismissed. Corruption began to be rooted out in the leadership of the church. All of that on the heels of what the gospel was doing. But I would suggest to you. That one of the things that became clear, this always happens when you get in a battle. When you get in a battle, there's usually that framing issue. What is the gospel? How can a man be right with God? But in the battle, you begin to get to the root of the issue, the foundational issue. How do you know how to be right with God? How do you know it's true to the point you are willing to die? For that message of how a man or a woman can be right with God. Well, that began to be clarified and predominantly manifested at the moment when Luther at the Diet of Worms said this. Here I stand. Where did he stand? Unless I am convinced by reason or scripture. Here I stand. I praise God for sola fide. We're saved by faith alone. I praise God for sola gratia. We're saved by faith alone. We're saved by grace alone through faith alone. I praise God for sola Christus. We're saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. I praise God for the recapturing of the only The only thing that makes sense in this world, it is not man's personal carnal happiness. It is the glory of God. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the supremacy and majesty of the glory of God alone and our joy in him forever. Praise God for that. But what became abundantly clear was the foundational issue. The scripture Not the scripture in the church, not the scripture in imagination, not the scripture in man's philosophy. The scripture alone is our only rule of faith and practice. And our ability, being made in the image of God, to reason is not what we do to get to the scriptures, it's what we do from the scriptures. We are not saved by acknowledging the scripture through illumination and Christ. We are saved saved through Christ by divine revelation from which we reason to Christ. We are people of the book and the book is truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. We are people who have been brought from sin's dominion to Christ. By the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God always works with the Word of God. My friends, you need an open heart. You need an open eyes. You need an open mind. But just like on the disciples on the road to Emmaus, no preacher has the ability to open your mind and open your eyes and open your heart. But we can open the scriptures and that's what Jesus used to open their minds and their hearts and their eyes. The spirit of God always works with the word of God. You can have the word of God and not have the spirit of God, but you can't have the work of the spirit of God without the word of God. Here's what Jesus said. Put no confidence in the flesh. It is the Spirit who gives life. My words are spirit and life. We can pray for the Spirit. We can surrender to the Spirit. We can seek to walk in the Spirit. But we cannot direct the Spirit. God sovereignly moves in His Spirit. But here's what I do know. When He moves, He moves with the Word. So, Spirit of God, let me be in Your Word. Let me proclaim Your Word. Let Your Word be in me. Because that's what the Spirit of God will use in me. That's why Paul, under a death sentence, writing the last epistle of his 13 included in your holy canon, writes to he's got all of his disciples He's spent with Titus he's got Luke Uh, he's had all of these men that he has invested in and leading women but now he turns to his most trusted the man he's putting his mantle upon and he says to Timothy you my son continue in the things you have learned knowing from whom you have learned them And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Continue in the things you are firmly convinced of. So my question, this Bible that gives you the gospel message. And the whole counsel of God as to how to love Him with all of your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. This Bible, let me ask you, I must ask you, are you firmly convinced? Here I stand. It may cost me my job, it may cost me stature in the neighborhood. The civic society. Here I stand. I have learned from it how to be right with God. Not only do I stand here, but I don't stand still here. Continue to learn. Continue in those things you have learned. Notice he doesn't say for be firmly convinced of me. Paul's about to leave. Timothy, your confidence and faith is not in me. Your confidence and faith is in the Christ that is revealed in the Word of God. There's where your faith rests. There is where, there is the solid rock upon which you build. And you continue to build. Continue in the things you have learned. Knowing. See, he's a learner. But he hasn't quit learning. Continue in the things you have learned. Knowing from whom you've learned them. God's used people. He's used your mother. He's used your grandmother. He's used me. He's used people in your life. He'll continue to use preachers in your life. And he's going to make you a preacher of this. But you continue in the things you have learned. Knowing from whom you have learned them. Because you can't get this gospel without the Bible. Continue in the things you have learned, knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you have known the scriptures which are able to give you the wisdom. You don't get the wisdom over anywhere else. You don't get the wisdom in our in our um, technology books. You don't get the wisdom from the philosophies of this age. You get the wisdom for salvation from the word that you have learned and in which you continue to learn. And then he says, now let me tell you about that word. All Scripture, every single piece of it, every text, all Scripture... Is God breathed now I was sitting there trying to imagine what it was like that Paul is writing this and he says now I got to tell him you're learning the Bible that is sufficient to give you the message and you keep learning it. Now, what do I want to tell you about this Bible? I want you to understand this Bible. So he says, I'm going to give you number one. I'm going to give you the origin of the Bible. How am I going to do it? P- Peter had been faced with something similar. So what Peter did in, in, um, in first Peter, what Peter says is this. Is that the Holy Spirit carried holy men along. Holy men carried along by the Holy Spirit. And what Peter did is he reached for a noun. Uh, it was what We would translate that noun, ferry. And he turns it into a verb. The Holy Spirit ferried men along to the truth. Paul's faced with the same thing. What will he do? So he, he creates a word. Out of two words. And it's the only time you find it in your Bible. The concept's all over your Bible, but it's the only time you find it in your Bible. Theo, neustos. Theo, God. Neustos, pneumatic, pneumonia, breath, wind, spirit. All, every scripture is God-breathed. We're coming up on our Advent series, our Advent Sunday, and I look forward to it. I mean, I'm sorry, Advent season and our four Advent Sundays. And we got all kinds of outreach things. Please take advantage of it to get people that don't know Jesus. Yes, bring Christians, but get people that don't know Jesus to come. One of them, my favorite, of course, was mentioned in the EMC by Dr. Flannery. And that's the walk through nativity. I love that one. I get to stand out in the cold for about three hours and shake 4,000 hands. What a glorious moment. And it's almost always cold. (laughs) Well, it ought to be. It's Christmas. I began to wonder. Well, we just kind of skipped. We went from 100 degrees to 50 degrees. That's wonderful Alabama weather. And here we are. And I love it. I'm grateful for a little season of cold weather. It just takes me back to my childhood. (laughs) You go outside on a cold winter night and you breathe. And what would come next? Mommy, look, I can see my breath. That was the way to say, winter has come. Look, I can see my breath. So excited. Look, you can see his breath. Are you excited? Or do you just kind of fit it in when you can? Or when it's convenient? This is God speaking. Man shall not live by bread alone. But by every word, every word that proceedeth. From the mouth of God. Here is his word. It's come from him. It commands my affection. My attendance. My allegiance. In it and it alone can I infallibly, inerrantly know him. So what about that Bible? He not only gives you the origin of the Bible, he then says to Timothy, let me tell you, this Bible you're learning and you're proclaiming and you're preaching. Let me tell you something about it. it not only came from God, every all scripture came from God. It's the breath of God for you. But let me tell you something else. Everything in it's profitable. Yeah, I, I, I read just to let you know, this is not. This is, has something to do with my personality. When I read, I read six books at a time in different categories. One of those is just kind of my fun reading in history and biographies. And I've just been doing the book Three Roads to the Alamo. I've always wanted to study that. So I've been reading that. And it's a great book. What, this is a world renowned historian that wrote it and it's written well. But they're just things that I just started skipping through. There's nothing I ought to skip through here. Even the genealogies. Every scripture is profitable. Now, some of it's more profitable than others. Some things are of first importance. Some things are of second importance. But everything is profitable in this Bible. What is it profitable for? So he goes from the origin of the Bible to the nature of the Bible profitable. And then he says this. Let me give you the design of the Bible. It is profitable for teaching. Folks. Never let come from your mouth. I don't want doctrine. I just want life. You can't have life for Christ without doctrine. Now, you can have doctrine and not have life, but you can't have life without doctrine. The Bible was meant to be taught. It is the teaching of the word of God. And so that he says this profitable, everything in it is profitable for teaching, for doctrine. Then, when the doctrine comes to me, now it's time to live it. You see, the burden of every preacher when he's preaching is not that you walk away with another folder in your file cabinet for theological knowledge, but that you walk away with the doctrine and how it changes your life. How it first reproves you. Why does it reprove? Why is it negative? Because you and I don't start off in neutral. We're sinners. So when the scripture comes, what do we do? Repent. We're reproved. What do we do? You can't put on till you put off. So we reprove. Then, he says, then you get to correction. Now you're ready to put on. Don't try to correct until you reprove. Don't try to obey until you repent. So you repent. Then you embrace in a new life and a new obedience. And what is the result? Training. Literally. You get gymnasium, spiritual gymnasium work. You get gamotna. You get. Give not so. You get, you get trained up is what you do. It starts building those spiritual sinews and muscles. It starts building you up. You get trained in personal righteousness. This is not the righteousness that saves you. That righteousness comes from Jesus and is given to you and is perfect. This is the righteousness that you're now giving back to Jesus in lifetime stewardship. Even what we're looking at in our every member commitment. How do I give my whole life? How do I train up my life so that I love the Lord with all my heart, soul and mind and my neighbor as myself? And so you are getting built up in that training in righteousness. Here's the origin. Here's the nature. Here's the design. Finally, here's the result that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for what? What? So it's not only inspired, it's not only inerrant, it's not only infallible, it is sufficient for all of life in Christ and for Christ. That I may be complete for every good work. And then he says to Timothy, that word, preach it. God gave us his word to be read, but he designed His word to be preached. Do you want to be saved by grace alone through faith alone? Amen, belongs there. Okay, eight of you want to be saved. You want to be saved by grace alone through faith alone? Faith comes by hearing the preaching of the word where God has promised. That when that word is preached in the power of the Spirit and in faithfulness, Jesus himself speaks. I pray that every Saturday night and on my way here every Sunday. God, the people you bring today, let them leave that service with a greater sermon than I preach. Let them leave that sermon, not with what I preach, but what Jesus preaches to them through what I preach. I pray for you to get a much better sermon than I can give you every Sunday. That Christ himself will speak to your heart by his spirit and you as his sheep will know his voice and follow him. And that faith will come into your life through the hearing of the word of God. And that's why Paul says, "Preach it." Read it. Yeah, you want to learn it. Hear it preached. Yeah, you want to learn it. But now, Timothy, preach that word. If this isn't, so, do you see why we know this is so crucial? Do you see why we know it? Listen. When you go to the Book of Acts, here is a here is Jerusalem. The landscape of Jerusalem is being totally renovated by the work of the gospel after the ascension of Jesus and the filling of the Spirit. And as they fulfill the Great Commission, thousands and thousands are coming to Christ. People are being saved every day. Well, Satan is going to strike back. How does Satan strike? What's the first strike of Satan against the work of the gospel to stop it in Jerusalem? Arrest the preachers. Bring the earthly powers to stop this kingdom power. Point one, stop the preachers. Arrest the preachers. Then when they let him go, what did the authority say? Now, when you leave us, you cannot preach that word and his name. That's what Satan wants to stop. The preaching of the word of God is not the exclusive means of grace. But it is the primary means of grace. If you lose that, you'll lose the rest of them. So he wants to stop that. And what did Peter and John do? We must obey God rather than man. And they preach the word to their own peril. You get to Acts chapter 6. And when you get to Acts chapter 6, what do you have? You get now, Satan brings disruption in the church. And there's the accusation of racism. And the leaders realize, boy, we're not doing a good job of mercy ministry, but our problem's not racist. My problem is we don't have time to do that. Let's get seven deacons. They can do that. And then two times they say this. Let's get these seven deacons so we can get this thing done right. And then, but we must not what? We must not neglect the ministry of prayer and the word. Now that not only tells you they're smart enough. Let's don't solve the problem by creating a bigger problem. We must not neglect prayer and the word, but you also find out something else. They wanted to prioritize what? This isn't hard. Come on. Prayer and the word. I've been bragging you. Know, I just preached at a preacher's conference in Philly and I was bragging on you that we do back and forth stuff. Okay. So do some back and forth stuff. So he says we must not neglect prayer and the word. What does that, what else does that tell you? That tells you up until then, the leaders and the pastors of the church, what was their priority up until that point? Prayer and the word. What do we do today? Here's what we do today. Pastors, Build their schedule about so many things, many of them good things, and then try to then try to accommodate prayer. And the, I got to get some time for that sermon. I got to get some time to prayer. That's not what they did. They put prayer in the word first. Now, how can we negotiate everything else? We put everything else in, and then how can we negotiate prayer in the word? No wonder our people don't prioritize prayer in the word. We don't from the pulpit, which may be why this. Epidemic of plagiarism in the pulpit today because men are not in prayer in the Word and they're going and copying somebody else's. So that's what has to be done. That's why he's calling them to do it. Let's go to our time. Where does Satan attack? Seminaries. Why? If I can attack the seminary, what can I get? I can get the preacher. And if I get the preacher, where is he going to go? To a pulpit. And if I got that preacher in that pulpit, what do I get? I get that church. To distract preachers from prayer in the word in order that the people don't become people of prayer in the word. As Satan goes after seminaries, he goes after all of those things. He wants to intimidate preachers. Right now, we've got preacher after preacher that are trying to find a way to say, I'm faithful to the word of God without actually preaching what's faithful to the word of God. But preaching what the culture wants us to preach. Folks, when we preach, we got to preach in terms that the culture understands. But we don't preach on the terms that the culture demands. And our people will not be courageous if our pastors and preachers are not courageous. So let me give you two takeaways. Two takeaways and, and then uh, we'll close in prayer. Takeaway number one. I'm speaking to you as a pastor because I love you. You got to get the word in your life. Personally. Get to the word. Get in the word. Get the word in you. Reading. Meditation. Memorization. And prioritize the preaching of the word. Get it in your life so you get it in your marriage. It's not technique. That technique is not what's going to make your marriage something you can enjoy the rest of your life. It is the glorious work of the word of God. Get into the word personally, get it into your marriage and then you're as a husband and wife, get in the word regularly together, get it into your family. Make it be the foundational block of your parenting, getting your children into the word and getting the word into your children and getting your family to sit under the word together. I'm pleading with you to do that. I love you, and I know you can't know Christ or walk with Christ triumphantly in this broken world unless you get in the Word, and the Word gets in you as you surrender to the Spirit of God. So I beg you, please. Don't just fit in the Word of God when it's convenient. And it get and it um when it's convenient to my football game schedule my sports my hobby my whatever make sure that you're in the word of god you remember that appetite you had for the word when you were first converted long for the pure milk of the word of god hunger for the word of the living god now i know there'll be times you don't if i can use the physical analogy of hunger there are times in your life when you don't hunger for a meal like when you get sick right you get sick and you don't hunger. All right? But you remember Mama? I can tell you my Mama. Here's my Mama. I believe mamas are God's gift to remind you of the work of the Holy Spirit. My Mama would come to me when I get sick and I said, Mama, I'm not hungry. Here's what I'd hear Son, you need to eat something. Well, I knew that settled the day. I was going to be eating something. Son, you need to eat something. I know you get depression at times. I know you get discouraged. I know you get disappointment. And I know many times that quenches your hunger. It's right then, hear the Holy Spirit say to you, you need to eat something. Eat the Word of God. Sit and chew it, meditate on it, and swallow it. Get the Word of God. Let me tell you another time we don't like to eat. And that's when we get too busy. Well, let me again tell you. Here's my mama. My mama would say to me when I got too busy and I didn't get the breakfast or I didn't get the lunch. And I'd get the breakfast is the most important meal of the day. How many times did I hear that growing up? Now, here's what she'd say to me. Son, I don't care how busy you are. You're not too busy to eat. Now, go get something to eat. Mom, I'm busy. Go get something to eat. You need to eat something. Well, if I may be at least somewhat the voice of the Holy Spirit to you. All the busyness. First of all, go to the word of God and start finding out what's important. You may be less busy. And secondly, you need to eat something. You need to be in the word of God. That word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Well. Let me just maybe mention this. In 1999, I came here. And we had a wonderful Sunday evening service to celebrate the ministry of Frank and Barbara. And we've been able by God's kind blessing to be able to celebrate their presence and ministry now for 20 years. And then right after that, the elder said to Frank, we want you to do another service and we want you to put the mantle on Harry. The way Paul did for Timothy and Elijah did for Elisha. I remember Frank saying in the meeting, what's the mantle? And I remember the elders telling Frank, we don't know. You figure that out. And then we got to that Sunday evening service, another celebration. I sat right there. Frank sat right there. He got up, he went here, he did a a short sermon, and then he turned to me to come up for the mantle. And the mantle is in my office right now. It was an open Bible. And he said, preach the word. Wasn't long after that, I heard from one of our members who worked on a construction crew when this sanctuary was built. And this is a concrete platform that I'm walking around on underneath this beautiful wood. What you probably don't know, but what I found out is that man who worked in that construction company came here early on the morning. They poured the concrete and he put a Bible right there. So every time I preach, I'm standing on the word. Every time Frank preached, he stood on the word. Brothers and sisters, I beg you, be men and women of the book, be in the word of God. Let me ask you one other thing, one other takeaway. I've asked, I'm, that's what I want to give to you. Now, I'm asking you to do something for me. We are in a tsunami of a secular humanist movement. Moral relativism is sweeping over this nation. It is being promoted in the academic world, the media world, the government world, the corporate world, everywhere you see. And its goal is to eradicate part of its goal is to get rid of the family and the church and the message that families and churches hold to, because that is an adversary for them. And when this tsunami finished, this is like a tsunami. It's, I can't believe how rapid. I just did a Pew Research study and I did it. And I really get this because I do this program today in perspective, a 10 minute podcast, and I'm constantly looking and handling these issues. This is like a tsunami that's taking place since 2004. Well, even before then. I thought of the tsunami in Japan, March 11th, 2011. I saw the photographs. Almost everything was destroyed, except a few buildings. Here's what they told me. The buildings that stood, it wasn't because they had a better superstructure. The buildings that stood were the buildings that had a deep, solid foundation. When this tsunami ebbs, and it will ebb, believe me, this secular humanist tsunami sweeping our nation I don't know how long it's going to go, but it will end. You can only live in the culture of death so long. You can only disregard the sanctity of life so long. You can only eradicate the family and disregard the sacredness of the family for so long. You can only embrace sexual anarchy and sexual immorality as a way of life just so long. And everything gets destroyed. And when that tsunami ebbs away. Will the church be standing? My answer is yes. But not every church. Only those churches. That are built upon the foundation of the word of God. Will be left standing. Not those who nuanced their message. Not those who found a way to. To. Get tolerated and found out that was the avenue to being eradicated. Not those who compromised and accommodated. They'll be gone. They think they're purchasing their existence. They're actually selling themselves into oblivion. The ones that will be left are the ones who, by the spirit of God, remain faithful to the word of God, to the glory of God and the preeminence of the son of God. They'll be the ones left standing. It probably won't be as big as they were. But they'll be left standing. Let me make, I just said this to 300 pastors at Westminster Seminary in that conference. So let me say it to you to pray for me. The churches that will be left standing in the word of God. are the churches who had pulpits that remained faithful to the word of God. So will you please pray for this pulpit? Pray for this pastor until the Lord sends him home. Pray for the next one. So when the landscape is destroyed. Christ Church will be standing right here. On mission. On message. And in ministry. Rooted in the foundation of the word of God. So whatever price it has to be paid to be, remain faithful to the Word of God from the pulpit so the church will remain faithful to the Word of God. I ask that you pray for that. I ask that you pray for that, and I ask that you pray for that so that all of those who would rise up against the Word of God might yet have their eyes open. But the churches that stand will be those who are rooted in the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus, the cornerstone. That's what will stand in the storm. Everything else is sand. It'll be wiped away. So, will you please pray for that? Pray for this pulpit ministry and even be personal for those who occupy this pulpit. Because that word, above all powers, above all earthly powers, will stand. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. That word above all earthly powers shall stand. What did Tyndall pray? O oh God, O oh Lord, as I die, please open the eyes of the King of England. Less than four years later. King Henry VIII, over a series of two years, ordered four different Bibles to be published at the expense of the government and sent to all the common people. And he used the research of the man that he pursued to death, William Tyndall, to get that word out. Our God reigns. And that word stands above all earthly powers. Here I stand. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the moments that we could be together. And I just want to ask Holy Spirit that you would speak to the hearts of those that are here. You've allowed me to speak. Now, Spirit... Who spoke through your word. Now speak. To their hearts. How they personally. And in their marriage. And in their calling. And in their families. Will be men and women of the word. Reading. Receiving. Meditating. Memorizing. And hearing. please help them to pray for and encourage the faithfulness of the word from the pulpit penetrating every small group every congregational community so that here we stand and when Satan has done his worst Christ will build his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Oh, amazing grace. Amen.
0: You have been listening to a message by Harry Reader, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.